Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. We're going to talk about today how to overcome overreaction. How to overcome overreaction. How many of you know we could use a little bit of that? Hmm? Starts with us, though. It starts with us. We're going to go to the book of Psalms chapter 46. Psalm chapter 46 and verse 1 reads like this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Well, that's a good verse, isn't it? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Say, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, Though the mountains shake with its swelling. And the musician would see this line, Selah, and maybe pause the music or the the music is now shifting to another dynamic in the song. There is a river. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. God shall help her. Just at the break of dawn, the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Thank you, Father, for this time together in your presence. Thank you for the church of the living God. Thank you for this people. And I declare over them, that they shall be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ to be upon every hearer today. Because, Lord, we're here to know you more. We're here to receive your word because we know the power of your word, what it does for our lives. We need it, God. We need it in our daily living. We need its resource of power. We need its resource of wisdom. We need its resource of healing because it is life to those who find it and health to all of our flesh. So we receive your word with gladness and thanksgiving. And Lord, we thank you that by your word we stand. Your word stands the test of time. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. And we thank you, Lord, we have something much more sure to hold on to than that which we see. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen Amen and amen. Say this with me. Be bold. Behold and be low. Be bold. Behold and be low. Verse 1 says, God is our strength, a very present help in trouble. The Passion Translation reads it like this. You're a proven help in time of trouble. More than enough and always available whenever I need you. And David's response, which is all of our response as the children of God, is therefore. 
we will not fear. Say, I will not fear. So he opens up with this declaration of who God is to us. Refuge, strength, and a very present help. The word present or very present, I, I, I like to break apart these words and dig into them a little bit. In the, in the Hebrew root of this, is it means an exceeding discovery of help or an exceeding encounter of help. So that means that for every trouble, there's an exceeding amount of help. For every trouble in your life, though there may be exceeding trouble, there is that much more exceeding help. And God is the one who is your help. So this will help you when you understand this, when you grab a hold of this as the foundation. God's my refuge, God's my strength. This will help you to be to go from an overreactor to an overcomer. Hmm? You don't freak out because you're founded in faith on his word. You believe God. So therefore, you have a declaration. Your declaration is, every, is your expression, I should say, of your confidence in God. The word boldness in the New Testament, uh, for instance... Um, 1 John 4, 17, one of the verses that we look at a lot here, it says, love has been perfected among us in this or completed or come to full maturation in us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. So we understand that, that for one thing, we are like Jesus, aren't we? It says as he is, didn't say so we will be, it says so we are in this world. Isn't that powerful? So we are in this world. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, we have boldness on the most terrifying day. It, hands down, will be the most terrifying day, but not for you. That's the day for you to be bold because you understand it's not by works of righteousness that you are saved, but by his mercy you are saved. Hmm? That's why you have boldness, because you have no confidence in yourself. You gave that up a long time ago. Your boldness is in him. And the word boldness here literally means freedom in speaking. All right, so boldness is your declaration of your confidence in God. So since God is your refuge, since God is your strength, since God is your exceeding discovery of help in trouble, what's the conclusion? I will not fear! And you can boldly declare that. Turn to somebody and tell them, be bold. Be bold. I want you to notice it says, God is our very present help in trouble. It doesn't say he's our present help from trouble. Because God knows about this world. Jesus said it pretty plainly, in this world, you'll have troubles. But he didn't leave us with that line. He said, but be of good cheer. I have already overcome the world. There's, There's the good news. There's the hope. There's the bold speaking. He has overcome the world, and since he's overcome the world, and you're like him, then you've overcome the world too. Whew. So God is in you in the trouble. But the greater reality is God is in you, not that you're in trouble. Because the word says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen. Therefore, we will not fear. 
Uh, the word boldness also means free and fearless confidence or a cheerful courage. That's why it's funny when you read some of the, the gospel accounts of Jesus, some of the stories where his disciples are in a freak out situation, right? They're in a storm or something. And Jesus says, take cheer or be cheerful. Lord, that's, you're not really concerned about my feelings right now, are you? He doesn't coddle that stuff. He says, take heart. Hmm? Be bold. This is a moment for your victory. This is a moment for your victory. Acts chapter 4. Can we turn there? Verse 13. Brooke, I just added that during the worship service, so you're welcome. Isn't she doing an awesome job? She's a superhero on that computer back there. Now, when they saw the boldness or the freedom in speaking of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. So there are two things. If you're educated, then you're confident in what you're doing, right? Once you know something, then you're confident and you, then you can take a bold approach as maybe somewhat of an expert on the subject. They're not educated and they're untrained. They're like, where are they getting this boldness from? Huh? They don't have an education to stand on. They have no formal training. Oh, they marveled and they realized they'd been with Jesus. That's all you need. You just need to be with Jesus. Huh? That's, that's their testimony. It's what gave them. I mean, how did these guys go from hiding out for fear of the Jews to boldly proclaiming this name that is above every name? Because they saw the resurrected Christ. They saw him with their eyes. They watched him eat in front of them. They stood and watched him ascend up into heaven. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me, to Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, you're not going to be able to keep your mouth shut. Hmm? So they proclaim this name, and they're bold in it, because miracles are happening, they're seeing the fruit of it. They're seeing the power of that name when it's released in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. This is what they're giving account for, for uh, healing that beggar at the gate beautiful who had sat there for decades, crippled, and now this day everything changed. And now they're calling him into account say, what, what's going on? We, we need you to stop speaking in that name. And Peter said, well, we can't help but speak in that name. That name gets results. We have no confidence in anything else. So whether it's that we should listen to you or listen to God, you make the decision. Now watch what David says here back in, in Psalms chapter 46, verse uh, 2. Therefore we will not fear. Now, now he's going to kind of give us an analogy of fear-producing situations, things that would that would shift you from confident to fearful or anxious, even though the earth be removed. Yeah, yeah that, that can set you off. I was in an earthquake in uh, Mexico City two years ago. I don't ever want to go through that again. I realized something. You know, out of some of the natural disasters that happen, many of them you can kind of run from, but you can't run from a ground that's moving underneath you. It was an awful experience. I don't recommend it for anyone. 
But he says, therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Now, here's, this is interesting. He's talking about things that are certain as far as the earth is concerned. We have the earth to stand on, and we're grateful for that. But we don't, we don't really go around thinking about how often that, you know, the, the possibility of that earth shifting under our feet. And then the mountains be carried in the midst, the mountains in their grandeur, right? And the, the peaks jutting up into the sky. But then he talks about them being carried in the midst of the sea. Next, now we're talking about the water, the seas. Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. So he talks about all of these earthly things, the shifting earth, the crumbling mountains, the turbulent waters represent natural circumstances in our lives that go awry. These daunting occurrences. And so the things of this world, what David is saying is the things, even though they seem sure, are not sure. There is no such sure thing that's in this world, except death and taxes, they say. They're all prone to disaster. That's why you must believe God and boldly speak his word. Otherwise, you will default to overreacting. You'll just be given to it. Your emotions will take over. You'll be led by anger, fear, whatever it may be, or even just your own reasoning, your own finite reasoning, being guided by the senses, that which you can see, that which you hear. But you have something much more sure to hold on to, my family. This is what David is saying. Our confidence is in the fact that God is our refuge. Mountains can crumble. Seas can roar. But God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is here with us right now in your trouble. There is a river, verse 4. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. Look Look what it says about her. Mountains can move. Seas can roar. Right? The earth can move, but she ain't gonna move. She's not moving. Why? Because God is in the midst of her. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. Well, who is her? This is talking about a tabernacle. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. The tabernacle mentioned here is really talking about you. Because when we get over into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul tells us, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God dwells in you, the same Spirit that raised him from the dead. This mystery that was hidden from the ages but has now been revealed, that is Christ in you. God is in your midst. He's in the middle of your life. Therefore, because of that, you will not be moved. Jesus said, and and this is talking about us as a church as well. Us as a church. And Jesus said, out of your belly will flow what? Rivers. This is the river that makes glad. This is what we're here as a church to do, to bring joy to our city, gladness to the citizens of this city, to be a light that shares the good news of God, amen, that shares this beautiful gospel that all who believe on Jesus can be saved, amen, and in him there is joy, inexpressible and full of glory. God is in the midst of his church, so we are this immovable, unstoppable force in the earth, and why is that? Because because we're so good? No. No, because Jesus said, I'm building my church. How many of you know when Jesus is building something, ain't nothing going to stop it? Huh? You can't stop that building from going up. He says, not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. All right, so if hell can't stop it, then your trouble can't stop it. Hmm? In the book of Hebrews, it says, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
so we may boldly say. See, it, it requires a bold response when we get this revelation of our God, who he is and what he is willing to be and do for us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So what is your bold response? I will not be afraid. What can man, what can, what can circumstances do to me? Come on, why don't you just say that with me today? I will not be afraid. The Lord is my helper. What can man or circumstances do to me? Amen. Verse 6 of Psalms 46. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. Kingdoms were moved. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. There have been kingdoms rising, kingdoms fall. Magistrates and rulers throughout the ages have tried to silence the message of the gospel. But they rise and fall, and the word of God continues to go forth. That's why you can boldly declare it. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. So because God is with you, be bold. Open your mouth. Say this with me. Trouble? Trouble. You're in trouble today. Hmm? You're in trouble today. Because you're not looking at the things that are seen. No, your Christian experience is looking at those things which are not seen. The way that you look at those things that are not seen is to believe his word. Declare his word. That's what, that's what brings us to this next thought. Verse 8, come, behold. From be bold, now we're going to behold. Behold the works of the Lord. Get your eyes on the right thing. Look what the Lord is doing. Hmm? Look what the Lord is doing. Stop trusting yourself. Stop trusting a system. Look what the Lord is doing. Behold the works of the Lord. So what are you looking at today? What are you looking at? Paul prayed that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would see life as God sees it, that you'd be elevated to that place to see no matter what, I see the hand of the Lord working even when I don't see the hand of the, word, the, hand of the Lord working. Behold the works. What are the works of the Lord? Well, there's a lot of good ones, aren't there? Hmm? You're, you're all a work of the Lord. You are his workmanship, the scripture says, creating Christ Jesus. But one of the greatest works I was telling our early services is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their sins to them, not holding their sins against them. Wow, that's a mighty work, isn't it? So God is not doing that. He's not holding your sins against you. But the church sure does a good job of it. Exalting the power of sin rather than the power of reconciliation and what God has done. Because the truth is, in Jesus, God is not looking at a sinful world. We are, aren't we? I mean, we're living in this thing like, Lord, how do you see it so good? What are those rose-colored glasses? No, they're blood-colored glasses. Right. <laughs> Amen. He's not looking at a sinful world. He's looking at a reconciled world because he made his son who knew no sin to be sin for us, right? That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So this whole thing has been opened up for all of us to receive it by faith. Now he reconciled you, but you also have to be reconciled. He's done his part. Now your part is to believe it in order to receive the fullness of that reconciliation. Is that right? This is the work of the Lord. Huh? Amen. So it's not... 
We're not looking at our works. See, a disciple's always looking at their work. Disciples are all about works. Now, discipleship is good, but it's not the apex. Sonship is the, is the greatest thing. Being born into the family of God is the greatest thing. But unfortunately, the church holds up man's works greater than God's works. I'm talking about the religious church. Those who say discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. Hey, you got it backwards, man. Discipleship is elementary school. Huh? Sonship is the greatest experience. When you read Paul's writings, you read the Apostle Paul, after, after the time of Christ and his disciples, Paul never, ever uses the word disciple. The, the apostle to the Gentiles. No, what does he focus on? Sons. You are sons of, you're all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Because here's the reality. Here's the reality. You can be a good disciple and still go to hell. Mm. You can be a good disciple. There are lots of good disciples, lots of good religions out there with good disciplines. Hmm? Hmm. And they're trusting in their works instead of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ's work. And as good as they look, it doesn't matter. Because the scripture says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. By grace are you saved through faith. I want to give you just a quick example. Go to uh, Acts chapter 10. Verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. So this is a Roman soldier, okay? This, meaning this is a Gentile. A devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. How many would you think that this is a good guy upon reading that description of him? Hmm? If any of those things, if I could have a testimony of any of those things, I'd be pretty happy about that. Matter of fact, if I knew a man that lived his life like that, I would probably make the very grave assumption that he's saved. Cornelius is all these things, but he's not saved. Wow. How is that? Man, he prays all the time. He gives all the time. He's a devout man. Whatever he does, he does it with his whole heart. And he's even taught his children to fear God. I know. I know. On paper, he looks real good. He looks real good. And God senses this Gentile groping for him. So he sends an angel to Cornelius. This angel says, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms, have, you've built some kind of memorial before God. You've got his attention, but that's not going to save you. So you need to send somebody down to this city called Joppa, which is 30 miles south of Caesarea, to a man named Peter, Simon Peter. He'll come and tell you what you need to do. Well, later on, Peter helped us understand what that angel actually said in detail. The angel told him, this is Acts eleven fourteen. He says, he will tell you words by which you and all of your household will be saved. He will tell you words. You've got good works, but works won't save you. You need to hear words that'll save you. That's the only way you can be saved is the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation. To everyone who believes. So, Jump down to verse 40, 43, Brooke. So Peter shows up, finally gets there. Lord gives him this revelation of these things that only Gentiles eat, uh, this, this vision, 
let down with the sheep and all these four-footed animals that are not kosher, not good for a Jew to eat. And the Lord tells him, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And so Peter has this little argument with the Lord, says, Lord, that's, the, I, that's against the law. I'm a, I'm a Jew. I don't eat stuff like that. But God is not really talking to him about actual foods. He's talking to him about now the gospel has been open to all the world. And now God sees everyone on a level playing field. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek in the spirit. But the same Lord overall is rich to all who call upon him. Huh? So this is the first Gentile convert. First one right here is found. This is our beginning, pagan Gentiles. And this is what he says. To him, talking about Jesus, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him. Any whoever's in here today? Hmm? Then you qualify for this, don't you? Whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Those were the words that they needed to hear. Those were the saving words because look what happens next. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, these words of what? To him, all the prophets witness. Whoever believes on him, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who what? Heard the word. Heard the word. Verse 45. And those of the circumcision, that is those Jews who believed, were astonished because Peter had some other Jews with him, as many as came with him, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the bacon, shrimp-eating Gentiles. Ooh, I just got hungry. It been poured out on the Gentiles also, which is such a revelation because Peter walked around and he heard Jesus say things like, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matter of fact, when he sent them out, he said, don't go to the Gentiles. You only go to the Jews. Healing is the children's breath. So that's all. He was a one-track mind. Until this day. Now he's standing in a Gentile's house. Things have changed. All right? So they're astonished that the Gentiles got what they got. Next, verse 47. For they heard them do what? Speak with tongues and magnify God. See, Peter makes a, he makes a connection here. Because he doesn't... He doesn't have, <laughs> all right, go ahead and say it. He doesn't have reassurances like sometimes we feel like we need. Wait, how do we know they got saved? They didn't even pray a prayer. We didn't pray the sinner's prayer. Are they really saved? And you know, they started messing with Peter as it messes with all of us a little bit when we've been raised in a church system that adds things to the gospel. Come on, you've been in that church service, surely, right? When the call to come to salvation comes, hmm? and the preacher's, boy, I mean, he's working it, right? And then he says, raise your hand if you want to be saved. You know, so somebody raises their hand, and then he throws this on you. Now stand. Nobody's standing. He's like, Jesus said, if you don't confess me before men, I will deny you before my father. Oh, God, why would I want to do that? Okay, I'll stand up. See, they put this, they put, we add stuff, we add stuff. Instead of believing the power of the gospel, we've added the man-made rights to it. Rituals, loopholes. We've added that. None of this is here. None of this is here. This is not happening. They're sitting there listening to the gospel. And all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost gets poured down on them, and they start speaking in tongues. And Peter's thinking, wait, 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 wait. Jesus said something about this. Oh, yeah, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, one of those things is they will speak with new tongues. My God, Lord, we didn't pray a prayer. They didn't come down to the altar. They just believed. 
They heard the word and believed. And God, God confirmed their faith by giving them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues. You don't need to speak in tongues to go to heaven or to be a Christian. Isn't that good to know? But speaking in tongues is a sign that you are a Christian. Ooh, that makes me want to talk in tongues. Because only believers get to speak in tongues. Well, later on, they had this big council and, and, and finally worked this out where Peter, standing before the council in Jerusalem, he says, God purified their hearts by faith. I have no other answers for this. Behold the works of the Lord. Behold the works of the Lord. Now look, who has made desolations, I'm almost through, in the earth. Verse 9, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot. And if I love this, this, this is in the heart of our God to stop the wars, to bring peace. It was the big, that was the first announcement right by the angels when that baby Jesus was born. Hmm? Peace on earth. Goodwill toward man. Peace on earth. God has rendered your enemy utterly defeated. Right? Broke the, broke the what did it say he broke? Broke the bow. Cut the spear into, burn the chariot in the fire. Colossians says it like this. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in his cross. Right? He has disarmed him. The devil has, there's nothing he can do. He is a defeated foe. 1 John 3, 8 says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifested to destroy the works of the devil. He's unraveled them. He's loosened them. So no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. Behold the works of the Lord. Behold the works of the Lord. Listen, there might be something in your life and a weapon has formed. But just because it's formed, it doesn't mean it's going to prosper. It may form. But listen to me. You need to behold the works of the Lord. Huh? He has disarmed every weapon. Set your sights on his promise. His promise is his willing performance. Believe his word. Speak his word. Think on his word. Amen. And lastly, be still and know that I am God. The word be still in the Hebrew means to sink down or to relax or to get quiet. Sink down. That's why I said be low to quieten down. He needs you to sit so that he can be strong on your behalf, so that he can show you his glory. David said, you have prepared a table before me in the presence, does it say, of my family? Hmm? Of my close friends? No, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Wait, I should, if my enemy's in the room, I should be up fighting. Right? He says, sit down. Feast on the goodness of the Lord. Your enemies can't do anything about it. All they can do is watch you win. Hmm? So get low. Be low. That is, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That's what the word says. Humble yourself. In the, in the New Testament, it literally means to get low, to make low. Humble yourself in the mighty hand of God. We're not talking about crouching in, in unworthiness. To get low 
means to come up under his truth. Sit at his feet, as Jesus said, come to me, you who are weighed down by trying so hard. You have been trying to work on your relationship with me. You've been doing this and doing that, trying to, get to, trying to please me. Just come to me. Learn from me. Faith is the only thing that pleases God. Learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Peter said, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. See, the point of that is so that God can elevate your life, not so that you'll grovel, not so that you'll, oh, yeah, stay down there, sinner. No, you come up under his opinion. I believe your word. I humble myself to you, Lord. And then he exalts you because he wants you to live an elevated life because that's where he lives. He has seated you in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Hmm? How do you do that? How do you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you? Well, you keep reading. And he tells us in 1 Peter verse 5, verse 7, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. God wants to know about it all. He wants you to give it all to him. Amen. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. By prayer and supplication. Amen. The way the kingdom of God works, you got to be low before you be high. Hmm? you got to become last. Choose to be last if you want to be first. If you want to be the greatest, you got to become a servant of all. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. How's God going to be exalted in the nations and in the earth? Through you. When he exalts you, he's exalted. Woo. You are the light of the world. You're the church of the living God. You're the city that's set on a hill. So let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works and do what? Exalt the Lord. Glorify your heavenly Father. Amen. This, this, these 11 verses, four times, we're reminded in some way that God is with us. Verse 1 says, a very present help in trouble. Verse 5, God is in your midst. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. And verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. That's why we be bold. That's why we behold and that's why we be low. Because God is on our side. And knowing that, that will take you from being an overreactor to an overcomer. Because you're standing on the sure thing. And you know you're God. And you know these circumstances are temporary. Thank you, Father, for this time together. Thank you for your incredible word. Thank you for what you teach us, God. Lord, your, your purpose here in bringing us your word is to bring our lives up. As Jesus told us, I have come that you may have life and abundance in this life. And we know that the words that you speak are spirit and they are life. So we pray, God, today that this word, I pray, God, that today, right now, that this word, Lord, will root down in the hearts and lives of these people so that when they go into tomorrow, they go into the circumstances, the scenarios of life, they will be well-equipped and well-armed with confidence in their God, their eyes looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher, the author and the finisher of their faith, and they will take their rightful, relaxed, seated position in rest because you have finished the work. Thank you, Father. 
Lord, I know that there are some here today who are in some kind of trouble. I thank you, Lord, you're with them. You're in it with them. And not only are you there with them, you're bringing help. And your exceeding help is greater than the trouble that they're in. So I pray, God, that hope would rise in their hearts today. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name. I declare over them, no weapon formed against them will prosper. I declare over them, no evil shall befall them, and no plague shall come near their dwelling. I declare in Jesus' name, you shall supply all their needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I declare over every marriage, over every family, grace, peace, and the love of God abounding there in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father God, for restoring. Thank you for healing bodies even now. If that's you today and you need healing in your body right now, just receive that. Say, Lord, I thank you. You sent your word and you healed me. You healed me. So I receive your healing power right now. I'm not going to settle in sickness. I'm not going to be afraid of these symptoms or what I'm experiencing. I'm not going to accept them. I only accept your promise. By your stripes, I am healed. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that you know what we have needed before we ask. Lord, you said when you ask, you will receive. You seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. So we thank you for these great assurances that we have in you. So today, God, we go out of here today bold in speech, freedom in speaking, declaring God is on our side. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And amen. Praise God. Thank you so much for being here. Let me just pray a prayer blessing uh, over you, and then Alice is going to come and dismiss you. Go ahead and stand. I love this verse of scripture. It says, Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and all of your house and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.